When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red as we enter the second week of another miserable international break. And in a not at all lazy attempt to get others to set the agenda, we decided to do something a bit different by asking you to send in your questions and we'll do our best to answer them. And with that in mind, I'm joined by an elite panel as all three of our regulars are together for the first time since promotion. Uh, so first of all, with me today is Mikey Clark. Mikey, you well? I am, yeah. Elite panel. That's interesting. Thanks, Matt. Never been introduced like that before. Appreciate it. Are you sure you're well after your misadventures in Prague? Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I tell you, I tell you what's been most um, uh, depressing is since I've got back, I've been treated to uh, married at first sight on repeat by my wife. So that was even worse than getting ill. So there you go. Ill for people. <laughs> people on YouTube can't see the inverted commas there, but ill, yes, I'm sure. Second guest today is Greg Mitchell. How are you, Greg? Yeah, good. As soon as you said elite panel, I thought, great, I'm going to get stick for that now. Whenever you say anything nice, I get a bit of stick off some friends. So, Legends of that. the stands are stuck, yeah, for, That was Temps who said that. That wasn't me. But it's stuck with you. And talking of Temps, third guest today is Michael Temple. How are you, Temps? Good, mate. Looking forward to beers later. Yes, yes. Well, this is pre-recorded, so I would say, say hello if you see us in Nottingham, but this will come out. We'll have gone out by the time this is uh, probably so questions um thanks for all of them lots of them i've tried to split them into kind of coherent themes around uh, the manager expectations tactics players and the future so we'll go through them as we go along and the first one is from andrew um is steve cooper not signing a new deal doing more damage to team morale than we realized there was a lot of cooper questions uh, around his contract so i thought i'd just pick one of those greg how are you feeling about the Cooper contract situation and uh, do you think it's affecting morale? No, not in the team. In all honesty, the, the squad, they're, they're going to be busy enough. They're not going to be thinking about that. I think it affects the fans' morale. I think if we're after a boost at the minute, you know, giving Cooper a contract before Leicester away, say he's going to give a huge boost to the fans, almost like the new manager bounce you get off <laughs> certain teams when they get rid of him. So, yeah, I don't think you have to worry about the squad being affected by that, but you know, when the fans have something to talk about, we talk about it to death, don't we? So uh, it'll be nice to get it sorted sooner than later. Yeah, I think I said once it gets past the transfer window, if he doesn't sign it, I'll get a bit twitchy. So is that your position, Temps, or has that evolved? Or I'm with Greg. I think um, players don't think about much more than the game in front of them and their own preparation. There's a quite a refreshing selfishness I think about sportsmen in general who are just really good at preparing themselves to um, be the best version of themselves they can be ahead of any given game and of course they care about the team and there's a, there's a sense of kinship and, and doing well for each other but they're not sitting around stressing about the, the manager's um, contract, no way 
Mm. Uh, Mikey, I'll te- tweak the question slightly for you. Would it be a bit odd timing-wise to announce a new contract on the back of four defeats? Do you have to wait for a few wins, touch wood, before you make that move? Yeah, possibly. I kind of agree what the guys are saying. I think my only um, my only other thought would be if you're in a different industry, so the industry I'm in, retail, for example, if somebody offers me more money to do the same job and I don't sign that contract, that is kind of what worries me. So you assume because we've got promoted that the contract on offer or has been on offer um, is reflective to his now peers, so the other other Premier League managers, and for him not to have signed that, that's what worries me. So Greg made a great point, not for the players, because I totally agree, you know, from what I've seen on the pitch, they're not demotivated at all, they're playing for the shirt, we've just been a little bit unlucky, I think. But I think for the fans, there's that awkwardness and that worry that is there something else, is there another reason why he's not signed that contract? Because somebody offered me more money to do the same job, I would sign him. So I'm sure there's more at play than that. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that if we do get one or two wins, now the transfer window short, uh, we move up that table, the contract signs, everybody can stop worrying. But the, the pessimist and, and the warrior in me just just perhaps thinks that there may be something else. But, you know, it's, it's we're not privy to what's behind the scenes, so we don't know. But I do concur with the guys that, you know, on the pitch. And I think the question was, team morale. No, it's not affecting team morale. No way. No, I don't think it would be either. And we don't know the reasons he hasn't signed his contract yet. There could be a litany of things. So we just have to, I think, wait and see how it plays out and focus more on the results in the short term, I guess. Another question around the manager, that is, this seems to be a Twitter theme going coming up in the last two games, uh, from Richie, do you think Cooper's missing the tactical input of Stephen Reid? I don't know, Mikey, I don't know how much involved Stephen Reid was in tactics. He had that obviously that Huddersfield game where he really boosted his reputation by abandoning pretty much everything Chris Hughton had done and and they won. But do you read much into that theory or not? That's a really difficult one to answer because you're not not privy to what he bought on the the pitch. But what I will say is Stephen Reid was integral in changing the shape when things weren't working. You know, Cooper came in, stuck with that shape. And by all accounts, if you see the, the photos after the playoff final, the videos, the well wishes when Stephen left, he was a highly respected member of that coaching staff. Now, of course, he's been replaced and Cooper has more than one coach, more than one view and idea to listen to, which helps sort of formulate his, his thoughts for the Saturday afternoon. Um, so it's a hard one to say yes or no. I'm sure Stephen would have brought a different dynamic to it. And like I said, very well respected. Um, I guess it's easy to say <clears throat> we've struggled since he's gone. But again, it's hard to pinpoint whether that's the actual reason. Um, I'd like to think that Cooper would surround himself with people that give him a different viewpoint in order to then weigh up what to do, like I said, on a Saturday, and Stephen was probably one of them. Um, So it's very difficult. I don't know what you guys think about that. Of all the questions that we saw, that was the one that I struggled to kind of say yes or no to because you're not privy to, to what he brought to the table. I think the difference is as well, obviously the difference in the league, like, it's a lot easier, isn't it, in the championship to to look very good, and that you know the the there's a vast difference in the Premier League. So whether Stephen Reid would have made a difference this early on, who knows? I think it's all been a bit shock and awe, just like how good these teams are with playing. Uh, even the Fulhams and the Bournemouths have been used to it before. You know they've got that experience, so it's a quick learning curve that I think we're all we're all fans and 
and squad and you know coaching staff are all getting used to very quickly and it and it is going to click so yeah i'm sure we miss him because he was a he was a very good coach and it seems a very decent human being behind the scenes as well so i think we'd be better off with him but i certainly don't think this is the reason we've had a slower start yeah i agree i think the making makeup of the coaching staff now it probably lacks a bit of Premier League experience. They replaced Stephen Reid with Andy Reid, and obviously he's building a great reputation, but he's not mm-hmm. coach's level. Jamie Robinson came in from the FA with a great brain for coach development, but he's not coach this level. And Alan Tate was with Swansea when they were at this level, so he's probably the only one. I mean, temps working in sport, you see changes to coaching staff at Notts Cricket. Does it you know, change the balance of things a bit when you see, you know, a, a different a different voice come into a changing room? Depends what you're walking into. I think if you walk into a system that's broken, then, then yeah, you, you try to put a line in the sand, get some ideas across and have more of an immediate impact. Or if, if you come into a successful environment, it's more a case of getting your feet under the desk, seeing what's working and soaking it up and then trying to add 1% here, 1% there. Now look, Steve Cooper didn't want Stephen Reid to leave. He chose to leave because he wanted to specialise in one-to-one confidence coaching and kind of draw on the experiences he's he'd had with um, his kind of negative uh, mental health issues throughout his career. So that's uh, uh, an area that he wanted to get into. He decided he couldn't do that within the confines of a, of a club environment. So so he's gone, and that's beyond Steve Cooper's control. So his perspective, I'm sure. Um, as the manager of Forest would be, yes, I would have liked to have keep Stephen Reid. It wasn't an option, so I so I move on. And in bringing in Jamie and in having Alan Tate around as well, I lied to Andy Reid, who knows about the ethos of the club and knows how to um, yeah, navigate the the, the, cor- the corridors at Forest. I think he's he's still got a very very good team around him. That's not better or worse for having lost Stephen Reid, just just slightly different. So, yeah, of course, those changes in staff change the dynamic, but I think they've they've come into a, a relatively positive environment with a manager that's been there for a long time, has got positive results out of a set of players that led to promotion. But now the challenge has changed again, hasn't it? And it'll be interesting to see how this team rallies around Steve Cooper while the chips are down. Um, we I suppose the next, brings us to the next topic around overall expectations for this season and where people think Forrest should be at. As a question from Big Z, which I'll put to you, Greg, on Twitter. What should Nottingham Forest expectations be? become a permanent Premier League club, a yo-yo club, or to be a team that challenges for Europe or something else? What what what, what should Nottingham Forest be right now, Greg, do you think? I, I'm going to be uh, realistic for the first time in a few months. Uh, it's survival, isn't it? It's clearly survival. Survival now will be a successful season. But then going forward, it is going to be getting higher up that table. But everyone around the club must be thinking... At the minute, the, the start's been slow, but we've got so many good players coming back into this squad that are going to be like new signings and we can get points. We've proven we can get points on the road and at home. Uh, it's just got to click a little bit quicker. But survival now would be like any team that's come up first season. That's a successful season. I'm not sure permanent Premier League clubs are a thing, really, outside the top six either. I mean... Mikey, you only ever won cat- catastrophic season away from relegation anyway, and if you've been in the Premier League for 30 years. Yeah, you are. Um, but I would say the first team that popped to my mind was Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers. So, you know, 
they came up, had a great first season, and now have been mid-table pushing up. And I think that's where, you know, we'd obviously want to be as, as, as fans in the next couple of years, but certainly the ownership having pumped the amount of, of mm-hmm. money and resource and, you know, ground improvements and infrastructure, uh, all that sort of stuff that's going off behind the scenes, they don't want us to get relegated or to be a yo-yo club. I, I, can, I can fundamentally guarantee that they see us almost as hopefully being like a wolves and I, I think that has to be almost like the yardstick what we're trying to what we're trying to get to so the first season and the second season to some extent is always really really tough you know you've seen that with Villa uh, you saw it with Leeds last season um, you've seen it with numerous teams over the last 10-20 years and Forest are going to be no different but if we can somehow get through that and I concur with Greg when he says you know what 17 everybody will bite your hand off now um and I think if that message is managed properly and then we push on from there, you know, we should be looking at a team like Wolverhampton Wanderers and thinking that should be us in four or five years' time. Absolutely. Because where are they? They're always pretty much in the top half. They play decent football. They attract good international players. Got a big following. They never, you know, Wolves aren't going to go down unless something fundamentally goes wrong there. And I think that's what we should be achieving. So, yeah, keep your head above water. But then you've got to push on. None of this yo-yo club up and down because there's no guarantee if we went down, we'd come back up again. Look at Sheffield Wednesday. Look at Leeds before that. Look at our rivals from down the A52. You know, it's, it, it, it's nothing's inked in. We've, we've got our foot in the door now. We've got to stay there. Mm. Is that where Forrest bucked the trend a little bit, Temps, you think, in the way that a lot of clubs, the fans expect more than the owners? At Forest at the moment, maybe the fans expect a little bit less than the owners in the short term? Well, that wasn't the case historically, was it? I think um, Forest fans, me included, for a long time thought that the, the club could operate in the Premier League with the fan base that it has. And that's that's borne out now. We we can kind of all see that the city ground is packed to the rafters every game and our fan base is, is so enthused that if capacity was an issue, there'd be far more of us there. But ultimately, it is about the expectation of the owners. And the expectation of these owners is to win at whatever level they're, they're at. Now, they're in the World League here and dominating the Greek Super League is one thing, but we're in the Premier League. The rules are different. The investment required is different. The capabilities of the 19 teams around you are, are, are vastly different. So I think the ownership have an expectation that we avoid relegation this year. I hope that they, um, through that through that lens allow for the fact that we are a team that is forming at the minute, that is going to improve when everybody comes together. What's our expectation as fans? I think all those wild predictions of 10th and 11th place finishers have quickly evaporated now. Ninth place finishes. Ninth place finishes have evaporated now. And we share Greg's revised (coughs) sensible view that 17th would be a fantastic turnout this year. That probably leads us into follow-up questions from what Temps was saying. Uh, uh, There's one here from Cluffy the Cat. Um, His Twitter names are ridiculous. City Grand Camel. Um, What do you think will be a reasonable points total going into the World Cup breaks? That's 16 games played. Greg, what would you say? Um, I liked what, I can't remember who said it. It was Fletch or Temps about how it's only 16, well, it's 15 games, isn't it now? We've lost the Leeds one before the World Cup and 23 games after the World Cup. So if you're, I don't know, 16 points, as low as that sounds, 
you know, you'd think then you're going to hit the close to the 40 points after the World Cup. So we just need to get points on the road, which next week's game is the perfect opportunity, and then start that getting the city ground, the fortress it was again. And it isn't going to be a sudden thing. Not so much like it was last year, but it, it is going to happen. We are going to get better. We've got better players coming back. So I think anything 16 points and over would be OK. Yeah, a point of game for me. It's a very solid return at this stage with you know time to improve and a lot more games to come, as Greg says. I mean, does anyone think anything different there, Mikey or Tams? Yeah, I do. So... Um... I suppose you've got to you've got to counteract the view with that we've started not as we want to. So we're already behind the eight ball with second bottom. I absolutely understand that. But if you look at some of the fixtures that we've got coming up, some of them I think are very winnable games. And if you look at what we've got after the World Cup break, some of them are really tough. I know it's the Premier League, I know every game's tough. So I wouldn't want to go into the World Cup break on a point a game because I pretty much guarantee everybody that will see us in the bottom three. And we all know that if we're in the bottom three, that there'll be changes at the football club. So my worry is that we stay behind the eight ball and we don't get our heads above water. So in terms of points, it's very difficult because you don't know the other results of the games. So 16 points could leave your fourth bottom or 20 points could leave your bottom. You don't honestly know that. But my gut feel when this question was asked was 20 points or above. Because I think that would leave us 14th, 15th, perhaps. And if we're 14th, 15th around that time, I think the status quo will be maintained and that will make me happy. So that's my thought process on it. So I'll bring Tempton on that in a sec. If you look after the World Cup, there's a run, there's a very similar run of games coming up after this, where around game week 19, Forest plays Southampton, Leicester, Bournemouth, Leeds, Fulham. And then the run-in is tough. So the last few, last three are Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, Palace away. So some context around the fixtures there after the World Cup. Do you agree or disagree with Mikey, Temps? Look, look I've, got, I've got us getting to 15 points from 15 games by beating Leicester, Brentford and Palace. There's a tough run in between there with the Liverpool and Arsenal games, obviously. And if there's going to be upside to that, we need to do better than I, than I think we might against Villa, Wolves and Brighton. And that nice run of fixes you just mentioned there in early January is preceded by Manu and Chelsea between Christmas mm-hmm. and the new year. So, yeah, of course you have to um, make use of these runs of favourable fixtures, but we've just been on one and it didn't go so well. So we've got to arrest that slide in my view, by getting four points on these next two games, I think we beat Leicester. I think we can get a point against Villa. Then there's some real um, upside potential there. But my slightly pessimistic predictions, I suppose, have, have, have led me to, to plotting out this map where we get to 15 from 15 and re-establish ourselves from there. Yeah. I wonder if we put too much stock in fixtures as well. I'm guilty of it. I think every fan probably is. You know, oh, We've got to beat Bournemouth, we've got to beat Fulham and then you know, every club can go and pull a rabbit out of the hat. You see Palace last season going and winning at the Etihad and obviously giving them a good game last season. And Forest didn't win at the Etihad, but I don't think we could rule out every game completely. I'm hoping they can spring a few shocks, certainly, along the way. Uh, question from Chris Dennehy. Uh, I back the manager 110%. 
but already the conversation become how long before he sacks. Uh, he mentions Ferguson in uh, 1990 around the FA Cup and how he was out in the ropes. And even going off Chris's question, Brian Clufton exactly set the world alight when he came to Forest for the first couple of years. Um, is the patient approach even possible in 2022, Greg? He must have something that the owners see that they haven't seen in many of their others at Olympiacos because, you know, they've already got rid of one this year, haven't they, there? Um, I just think he is, because of what he did at our club, because of the way the fans have treated him, because of the way he is with the staff there, I think he's got a lot more leeway than other managers under, you know, Mr Marianakis' ownership have. Um, But I do think, obviously, we've got to pick up results soon. As much as many of us would say, including myself, he gets the season whatever in my eyes, that isn't how the owners are going to see it, obviously, with the amount of money they've pumped into it. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't put the blame on Cooper if it isn't going so well. So I do think he's, for whatever reason, got more leeway than other managers have had under, under. well, if you look at Olympiacos, for example, which is obviously the right thing to do. Uh, but he's certainly not going to get a free pass. Yeah, I agree and disagree with you a little bit there. So I think he's they've given Forest managers a bit more rope. I think Hewton got more time than he deserved, really. And Lamucci could have gone after that Stoke game. Uh, and then they get, it just went wrong after that. Do we have to look at Olympiacos and Forest in this sense as totally different clubs, Temps? Because the expectations, you know, you should be pissing the Greek League most seasons, shouldn't you, really? Yeah, I think so. I think with that um, resource, that wealth, um, signing James Rodriguez and and, and Marcelo, uh, of course, that club is resourced in the environment that it's in to to succeed. Forest aren't resourced to challenge uh, in the way that Olympiacos are resourced to challenge in the the Greek Super League. But I think we are resourced to, to stay in the division and that will be their expectation. He should be afforded time simply because of this. If Forrest finished 12th in the championship last year, Steve Cooper is praised for having stabilised the club. And the pressure that he's under now is because he had immediate success. It came far quicker than he expected to have it. Even if he'd have made it to the playoffs and lost last year, we'd all be completely behind Steve Cooper. And maybe some of those loners would have returned. Maybe Keenan Davis would still be at Forrest and he'd be building it in a different way. He's under pressure because he's raised expectation. And I hope he's given credit for that. He should be given more time than any previous Forest manager has had to find the winning formula because of where he found us and where he took us to. And the expectation he's dealing with now is his own doing because he was so good last year. So I'm completely behind Steve Cooper and I I share Greg's thought. I'd like to think if I was the owner of that club, I'll give him time. Do Forrest need to look at Arsenal a little way, in a way, Mikey? I mean, if you really believe Cooper's the man, like Arsenal clearly believed Arteta's the man, then you've got to give them sufficient time and now look where Arsenal are. Yeah, bang on. I was going to say that. And Temps, you're absolutely spot on, mate. I, I think Arteta for Arsenal and also the Southampton managers at Hassan Hootel, who've been given time. I mean, they got beat 9-0 a couple of times. But they are, I mean, they might struggle this season, but they, they are a Pretty pretty solid Premier League team, uh, win a lot of games at home. And Arsenal is a point in, in case that you were saying that um, expectations at Arsenal obviously very different to Forest, but off the back of Wenger and Unai Emery, 
Arteta pretty much struggled at the start and he's been given time and look at him now. You know, they're playing some great stuff. So I concur with everything that Temps has just said. Um, you can't compare the Greek league with the Premier League. It's comparing apples with pears. It's just, you, you can't compare it. Um, I do think, however, integrating 22 players into a new side in a couple of weeks is an impossible task. You know, I'd challenge Pep Guardiola to do that and, and get a tune out of them this early. So I think there has to be, expectation levels have to be tempered slightly in the fact that this squad makeup, there's little or no resemblance to that team that got us up. And you could put a magician in there and they'd still struggle in the first few weeks trying to integrate it. So mm -hmm. I've just got a couple of new members of staff and I'm struggling, right? Never mind 22 on a football pitch with 30,000 people shouting at me. Okay, totally different. Um, so I'd like to think Steve gets the time that he deserves. His stock is incredibly high with the fans, as it should be with the ownership as well. We've just had a bit of a sticky start. And I remember Greg saying something at the end of last season. Uh, I'm going to quote you now, Greg. He said something like, if things don't go according to plan at the start of this season, everybody needs to remember what Steve Cooper does for us, did for us, sorry. And that goes for the ownership as well. So let's just hope, let's all stick together. Let's hope we get the points in the next couple of games and things, I guarantee you, once these players gel, will look a lot rosier. Uh, you've led nicely there into the next question from Spy Fam Sooners. Uh, at what point with so many new players does it seem feasible for the new players to begin to become a cohesive unit? Just quick fire answers there, really, so we don't spend too long on all these questions, but putting a figure on it or a month, do you think, Mikey? Six and a half weeks. No, I'm joking. I don't know, <laughs> but but you'll see it gradually on the pitch and you'll see things start to click just with anything, just in any industry. So, you know, we've got the international break that's, that's coming up now and I know a lot of them will be away. They'll still have a chance to work with some of them. And I think you'll just start to see shades of things clicking. You know, I saw a bit of it in the Fulham game, a um, bit of it before in, 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 the, um, in the previous game against Bournemouth. But I don't think it's a case of, between four and six weeks or between six and eight weeks. It does need to click sooner rather than later, but I think you'll get that as the players build up their partnerships and their understanding of each other. You know, you watch the best teams, they know where each other's going to be. And that's because they've played with each other for months and for years. We're not in that shape yet, but we will be. And the only way to get there is to work on the training ground, to try and pick a consistent team if possible, and to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. So, Let's just hope it comes sooner rather than later. But I guess in answer to your question, I, I, I don't know. A few games, we've got to see something. Otherwise, like I said, changes will be made. But I'm confident that we will see something. I guess it depends to what degree you mean a cohesive team. I mean, for me, it might be a whole season. Look at Man City. It's taken years to get everything Guardiola wants. That first season, I think they finished fourth or something like that but certainly like Mikey says it needs to move along unless anyone's got anything radical to add to that I'll probably move along to the next question um right the homework one for you which I hope you've all answered I think Temps did this on the last podcast if it's from Chris Haynes if all players are fit what team formation would you like to see so if everyone's got a best 11 has anyone done this written down a best 11 got it in my head good <laughs> Temps, just read yours out again quickly, because unless it's any different from the last podcast. So my my best eleven in the in the current shape is Henderson, Williams, Lodi, Warrell, Neocarte, McKenna, 
Johnston, O'Brien, Awani, Gibbs White, Mangala. Very good. Uh, I'll read mine out then. So mine's in a slightly different shape. Uh, mine right now is uh, Henderson in goal, Williams right back, near Kate on the left side or the right side, depending on if you're pairing with Warrell or McKenna. I think they've been much for muchness. I know people are lobbying for Barde, but I've literally never seen the bloke kick a ball. So it's hard to say he should play. Uh, Lodi left back, although I'd like to see a bit more from him. And then a midfield three of O'Brien, Mangala and Freuler. Freuler's supposed to have had a blinding game for Switzerland uh, against Spain the week, so hopefully he could carry that into Leicester if selected. And then a front three of Johnson, Gibbs-White and Awanee, but Lingard could easily fit in there if he shows any form. And to caveat that and to cheat slightly, versus Leicester, I would probably play either Yates or Kuyate uh, because they're so dangerous at corners and Leicester are so terrible at defending them that I think there might be a case to be made for playing either of those, although I'd certainly know Yates wouldn't be a popular pick online going into that game. Greg? Well, I I honestly thought this, this friendly last week, which it clearly wasn't, it was an under-21s one, was to sample maybe a new formation. Um, I just think we need extra bodies in midfield, so maybe not have the, the three centre-backs, have the two centre-backs. Um, but it's so hard because you, you've got players now with knocks again, haven't you? Like McKenna's come back from Scotland, rumoured to be a slight knee tweak. So... Thank God we have signed 22 players <laughs> and we can have it. And there's all these players, like you say, Lodi and Freuler, that haven't really come in yet, who, who we're hopeful are going to be the difference. Uh, for me, from what we've seen, Mangala starts every game is fit for. Uh, and also, I think Lingard, like you say, I, I'd still keep Lingard in. His stats are showing he's one of the most productive players. I know as fans know better and like to have a moan, but uh, he, he's a player for me that plays in that team. Whether you can have like Lingard and Johnson or Lingard and Morgan Gibbs-White together, I'm not sure. But for me, yeah, I'd have, let's say, similar to yours, but Lingard starts. He massively cheated. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'll let you off. Um, I wrote something down, but it's not good. So. Oh, OK. Like your fancy team. OK, Mikey, what's your 11? Yeah, it's the same as Tempsers. So that, that back five, well, I think it's the same as Tempsers. O'Brien, Mangala, Gibbs White, Johnson, and Awani. Um, what I will say though is I kind of agree with you, Matt. So against Leicester, I think I would sacrifice one of the sort of front three and bring in somebody like a Freuler or even a Yates just to kind of quieten the, that crowd down for the first 20 minutes and keep it tight. What we can't afford to do is go one nil down there. Um, that would be bad. So I think it's horses for courses. There will be some games where, you know, a back four is warranted or where, um, you know, we decide to either do a high press or, or sit off. And, and in that case, you know, you can utilise those 22 new players and flick them around. But I think seven, eight times out of 10, I think that's the team I will go with. And I think it's his preferred formation too. I'm not sure you have seven or eight centre-backs if you're then going to go to a back four. That doesn't make any sense in terms of the recruitment strategy. So, yeah, that's what I'll go with. Yeah, I mean, I'd lobby for the back four now. Having seen Johnson, you know, play well for Wales, hanging that cross up to the back post, I'd like to see the three, but I'd sacrifice one of the central defenders to get an extra body in midfield, certainly. Right, next question is one I'll, feel, I'll throw at Temps because it's a favourite of his. Uh, from John NFFC, any reason why we've gone from a high-energy high press to defending our 25-yard line with all 11 players? No, uh, no out ball, it just comes back at us. 
this is a bugbear of yours, Temps, I get the impression. It is. I wish we'd press more. And I know the risk of that is that those that are good at the counter press, i.e. passing through the lines, pinging the long ball, are, are going to pick that off and find more space, more open ground in, in, in our third, in their final third. So we have been deep and compact. And my frustration is that we haven't seemingly uh, altered that tactic when we're playing against weaker opposition. So I'll say, I'll say this again, gents. I, I fully support um, playing for a point when we come up against top six, top, top eight teams. But I do feel when we're playing Brentford and Fulham at home, we should establish a platform of possession. We should be in their face when they're in their own third. And we should work that bit harder without the ball to, to put them under pressure. So, yes, I would like to see us press more against the, 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 the bottom half teams in the Premier League, maybe the bottom 12, let's say. But I fully understand why we go deep and compact when we come up against world beaters. Uh, next question. Uh, moving on to players in general. Uh, Forest Fan 302, which of all the signings do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the team this season based on what you've seen so far? Probably like one sentence answers looking at the clock. Uh, Greg? I've said it, Mangala for me again. I just think he can he can control games if he stays fit. Him. There you go. Mikey? Yeah, same. I agree. The only, just to, to try and be different to Greg, my other thought was um, Awani up from, you know, if he can get 10 to 12 goals, that could keep us in the, in the Premier League. And he's, he's had a half decent start. We just need to keep playing a striker and not playing the three and behind, which irritates me as much as not pressing irritates temps. Uh, Temps? Dean Henderson will have more moments this season where he saves a point, saves three points, saves the penalty against West Ham. I think he'll be worth 12 points to us between now and the end of the season. Dean Henderson. Yeah, Henderson was my answer as well. So uh, I'll echo what Temps said. Next question from Justin AH on Twitter. We signed four Bundesliga players. Three of them are injured almost immediately. Not disputing their quality, but does it show how physically more demanding the Premier League is, or do we need to get them into more suitable shape? Uh, I mean, the players are Richards, Niakate, Mangala and Awani. Uh, I, I think we're just, there's a bit of coincidence going on here, personally. Mangala arrived on the back of half a pre-season. Richards arrived potentially injured. I don't know. There's a, Obviously, there's all the backstory around his um, medical and what happened next. And Nia Kate, I think he just was unfortunate to get a hamstring injury. Maybe that was a Premier League thing. I don't know. But then you see Haaland's a special case, isn't he? Because he's like a cyborg. But he's come in and fitted in no problems at all. So unless anyone disagrees with me, I, I don't think there's a Bundesliga issue there personally. Greg, you watch, you watch a lot of Bundesliga, don't you, mate? What do you think? It's a cracking league with probably seven or eight teams that are very similar in it. So every every game's a battle. So, no, I think it's a real high-paced, high-quality league. And I think it's a, a little gem that we've tapped into that not many other teams do. And hopefully we'll get the fruits of that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's an, an underrated league. Um, next question from Jim Beckett. This is a hypothetical question, but I'll ask it anyway. Which lone player from last season do you think we should have kept and would they get into today's team? Temps? Jimmy Garner, probably, because uh, Nico Williams has disproved my thought that Spence was out and out our, our rightful number one target at right back. I think Nico Williams is a really special player and will continue to develop. So 
Yeah, I think um, Jimmy Garner uh, perhaps settles into that Froiler role quicker than Froiler is. Gives us that set piece quality from the from the off. Um, and yeah, by virtue of the fact that other Premier League teams were um, vying for his, his signature, there's there's clearly some untapped potential in in Garner that will only be realised when he's played 50 games, 100 games in the Premier League. So, yeah, I think we could have accommodated James Garner in this side if we'd have signed him at the, at the start of the window and planned subsequent recruitment around that. I think he's a he's a miss. Yeah, I think that was the issue, wasn't it? Couldn't get him at the start of the window. Ten Hag wanting to look at him and then still pick with Tom and A and Fred and then sell him. So, you know, that's what happened there. Uh, Greg, would you say any of the other loan players? Uh, I, I think we could have helped with Davis uh, the first few games, certainly. You know, that strength up front and holding it up and then being able to score the odd goal as well. But I'd have gone Garner. But it's unfair to say it because he just wasn't available. You know, we'd already signed, I think, 18 players by the time they were saying Garner's available and he's off to Everton and we've more than filled his position. So it is a real shame, a real miss, but I don't think that one's on us at all. Yeah, that's why I think it's more of a, a notional question. I, I think mm. circumstances pre- prevented almost all these deals happening anyway. Mikey, who would you have said? Uh, Jed Spence for me. So I'll tell you why. He, he is the best lone player I think I've ever seen at Forest in terms of the impact that he had on the team. Now, I understand we've got Nico, who's great, but Nico can also play on the left. And I think Jed, the way he excites the fans and the fact that he's not even kicking a ball at Tottenham, irritates me, the fact that he, he's not pulling on a red shirt at Forest. I will concur with the lads around Garner as well. I think he Everton have got a bit of a steal there. And I was thinking in the last couple of home games, James Garner would walk into that side now because of his understanding of the formation. You know, he's 21, box to box, side to side, quick, closes down. His work off the ball is fantastic. And there were points, that, certainly in the Fulham game, where and I don't like pinpointing players, but our central midfielders were just sort of stood around watching. Um, and I think James Garner would have been great. And I just wish, just wish we had have been a little more patient and waited for him to become available. Whether that was even possible or not, I'm not sure. And they obviously decided to get him Froder and the rest of the guys, which, you know, in the long term might have been the better decision. But at this point in time, if Garner was with Forrest, I guarantee you he'd start against Leicester without a shadow of a doubt. So my answer would have been would have been Keenan Davis, because I think he just offers something different that our knee doesn't offer a fully fit Davis would have hustled and harried Premier League defenders, as we did see our knee do against West Ham. But again, circumstance, you know, Villa wanted a lot of money. Davis got a hamstring injury at back end of pre-season. He's gone to Watford and he's only just got fit now at the back end of September. So I think we have to move on from the lone players. And good as they were, that you know, it's a, a different phase now. So probably have to just look to what we have and look to the future. Next question from uh, Gazman. Will Marcelo be coming on loan to us in January from Olympiacos? Uh, well, I, I don't know if anyone disagrees with me. I can't see it. I don't think he fits what we what we need as a team. So I don't think so at all. More likely is um, Scarpa, the Brazilian player. He's going to come to Forest on a free from uh, Palmeiras, I think. And I do think he goes on loan to Olympiacos for the rest of the season. And then Forest review that one in the summer, along with Josh Bowler and the South Korean striker, whose name completely escapes me. Well, I don't think we'll ever see play for Forest. So... 
Uh, that's where I think we are with Marcelo. I think he's probably Marcelo like five years ago, unbelievable, but perhaps not now for the Premier League. So, uh, last few questions looking to the future. Uh, in the unfortunate event of relegation, I suppose these both are uh, from Elliot Bauer. How do you feel about the backup plan in the unlikely event the club will be playing championship football next season? So, I'll tee the question up by saying, What is the plan? Because I'm not. I mean, Temps, there's a lot of players who wouldn't want to play in the Championship and ones who might want to play in the Championship, Premier League clubs might want them like O'Brien, I suppose, I'm thinking. Well, what I hope the plan is, is that we don't sign players. We look to retain the core of this group. And of, of course, there will be some who feel that a season in the Championship is beyond the pale. But I genuinely hope that the progressive future of this football club in future transfer windows, wherever they find themselves operating is to trade three to five players rather than 15 to 20. So if that's in the Premier League or the Championship, I hope we can retain a core, not look to have this drastic turnover, which was necessary this season, and we can have a slightly more settled transfer window so we can keep off Twitter and Matt can have a quieter day at work. <laughs> so, Mikey, if, it, if Forrest were to go down, would you be, you'd be looking to assume that Nico Williams and Harry Toffolo and Lewis O'Brien and... Worrell and McKenna would would stay around, I assume. Well, the the first couple have signed long term deals, so you'd like to think so. Um, and also, you've got you know you're saying about a backup plan. I guess players like Josh Bowler that you were talking about before, you know, could come into the mix. And certainly, if we're in the Championship, he was he was one of the Championship's best players for the last couple of seasons. But I'm kind of with temps on this one. I think in January, regardless of the position we're in, unless we're bottom and gone. I'd like to see us only do a little bit of business and that to be the trend going forward. So massive turnover of players now. We've got the core of a side. It's a young side. I do actually think a lot of them will stay with us even if we get relegated. You know, we're not going to sign Lodi or anything like that. You know, you have to be realistic. And now we you'll probably go. But I think, you know, some of the some of the players that we have, certainly the ones that came up with us, I can see staying as well. Um, and... You know, Jesse Lingard will go, of course, but somebody like a Gibbs White, I think, will probably stay with us. So it doesn't need to be a major turnover. But I think now we've done a huge amount of business. Let's just calm down, give the guys a chance to settle in and just make sure that we obviously don't plan for the championship. What's the phrase you hope for the best plan for the worst? I'm, mm. I'm not even sure we do that. I, I think we say, right, this core core of players should be good enough to keep us in in, in, the, in the Premier League. And if it's not, then you'd like to think most of them will stay with us if, if we go down to try and get us back up at the first attempt anyway. Mikey, you make a good point there about the contracts as well. So part of this recruitment uh, plan, we, we won't quite see the fruit of it until this starts to happen, where players that we've signed at the right age on a long-term contract attract a transfer fee that can be reinvested or used to uh, balance the books at the, at, at the club. So that's no bad thing. If we add value to a Morgan Gibbs-White, to a Lewis O'Brien and find them making a, a positive net financial contribution to the club, that's no bad thing. And then we'll, we'll have to give credit to Dane and the recruitment teams, the analysis teams, who have not only put together a squad for now, but have, have put together a squad full of players with residual transfer value because that's never been the case at Forest. Historically, we spent a lot of money on the way in but we've had to pay lads on the way out as well. And that's that's no way to balance the books. Yeah, can, can I just say on that as well, Tim? Sorry, the, if you look at Norwich, might not be a great example of this, but I'm pretty sure they've had the same team for 10 years. <laughs> they just go up and down, up and down. 
So I'm not saying that's what I want Forrest to do, but your point, Thames, I think is absolutely accurate. You know, if we, we did go down and kept the core of that side, you know, you'd like to think we'd go back up, but also these young players, high in value, we should be able to, you know, with the, with the uh, uh, what's it called, the parachute payments as well, we should be able to financially stabilise, sell one or two and get back up again. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Okay, let me throw the penultimate question at Greg, which is on the same theme anyway. It's from Davo on Twitter. Um, would relegation be a disaster? It says controversial one. Would relegation be a disaster? Personally, I think we'd lose some players, but we'd go down with a far stronger side we went uh, and we'd go than the one we went back up with and we'd be favourites to come back up and challenge. So that, I think that's the argument there, that you go down, you come back stronger. But you have to go down. Where do you stand on that, Greg? It, it would be a disaster, yeah. It reminds me of the uh, the League One, sorry, the Championship games. You know when the new owners were looking to take us over that Ipswich game at home. We had so much riding on that. It felt like, although it seems the the new owner would have taken over anyway, it felt like we needed to stay up to to get everything that was going to come, and which did come. And I feel like the same with this. You know, we've got this stadium development plan which just looks fantastic. It looks so good, but that's obviously going to rely on the crowds being there and the crowds are only going to be there if we keep doing what we're doing. And I I think we spoke too much about the relegation plan, to be honest, because it's not going to happen. We are going to improve. We're going to improve in January. Cooper's going to let it click. Uh, Relegation would be a disaster. We've had far too long down there already. So like Mikey said earlier in the programme, you know, there's no guarantees you just come back up. So absolute disaster relegation don't even think about it being in a positive thing because it won't be yeah i agree i agree right final question it's just for you greg (laughs) it's not of the princess tiara photo that your friend matt taylor sent me an email (laughs) it's a question from your wife and it wasn't aimed at this podcast but i did spot it on twitter from premier league laws on twitter are all men pathetic when a bit hungover or just certain ones were you a bit sad yesterday I wasn't very well. <laughs> I, had to, I had to cancel an NFL thing I had last night. I, was, I had a 24-hour bug, which wasn't helped by, you know, going to a good friend, Sam Perkins, 41st on Saturday. But, yeah, it wasn't pathetic. It was being sensible and looking after my delicate body. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, was it, I was going to say, was it the same bog I got in Prague, mate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, before we come on to any other business, uh, a, a public appeal, I guess, uh, that we, as a collective, the podcast, have been shortlisted for Best Premier League Podcast at the Football Content Awards. So I will put uh, a link in the comments for voting for this, and I'll put it out on our Twitter as well. So uh, do vote for us because it's uh, 50% public vote, 50% judges, and it's announced in November. So uh, if you do uh, look on the comments underneath this, there'll be a link for you to hopefully vote for and support us. Right. Uh, any other business? Greg, I'll be nice to you. Yes, you first. I have. Uh, my friend's band are playing in Nottingham tomorrow night. They're up and coming. He's a big Forest fan. Uh, they're called National Rail on Twitter, NTNL Rail. They're supporting a band called Eggplant. Not, I don't know about them. Uh, at Percy Picklebackers on uh, Weekday Cross in Nottingham. They're a great band. They've got a single out called Summer Sky at the minute. Check that out. Like, dead good. 
if you don't like it, money back guarantee as well because it's a uh, it's a free gig. So if you can make it down there, go and support them, the great lads. Just say the venue again. Your line is a bit cracked. I don't know if it was for everyone else. Uh, Percy Picklebackers. It's on weekday cross. Basically, if you know where uh, picture and piano is, it's pretty much opposite there, so you can't miss it. Is any of that real? We need to, we need to talk about band names. I think uh, National yeah. Rail supporting. Yeah, they eggplant, eggplant Jesus. band. But no, National Rail. They're a cracking set of lads. He's at Forest Home and away, Willis. So, uh, but they, like I say, just check out the single on Spotify, or whatever. Summer Sky. They're, they're really good. Young, up and coming, supporting. I'm sure Thank there's you. a Reeves and Mortimer sketch where you, you just take two random words and put them together and make a band <laughs> name, like Paul Speckler <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Uh, Mikey, any other business? Yeah, I do have one thing. It's an appeal to everybody as well. So for those of you guys and girls that are in the uh, Fantasy Premier League, Gary Baldy Red League that we've got of a couple of thousand people, I'm 781st, so mediocre mid-table. My brother is top of that league. So please, please, can I ask you guys to spend an extra five minutes looking at your teams, play wild card, <laughs> play free hits, knock him off the top because he's insufferable at the moment. So thank you, guys. Yes, Rushline Integrity, uh, Lawrence's team. Uh, you got 88 points last week. Playing a free hit, that was a bold roll of the dice that paid off. So uh, well, to hear. well done to him. 482 points overall is very impressive. Temps, anything you want to say before we go? Well, I haven't got a band and I've got no personal malice to Mikey's brother. But if we're doing shameless plugs, then I will mention the beer festival at Trent Bridge from Wednesday the 12th until Saturday the 15th of October. So get your tickets online. But my, the point I wanted to make was how dull are weekends without Premier League football? Yeah. And for all the pomp and circumstance of the Nations League, there's nothing quite like for me a Saturday afternoon listening to the scores come in. So I really missed it. And uh, yeah, let's get these weekends back rolling and get, get the forest train moving in the right direction. A quick straw poll. Does anyone watch the England games? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's no. all I've got to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I have not yeah, watched the game great. since Euro Smile. Yeah. I'm sure I watch the game until the World Oh, it's going to be boring. Right, hopefully Henderson gets a cap anyway. Okay, we shall leave it there. Thanks to everyone who watched along. And if you could vote for us, that'd be great. And if you can like and subscribe, and if you can go to a beer festival, if you can go and see... Uh, National Rail. National, National Rail. National Rail. Yes. And if it's you getting can, expensive uh, and time-consuming to support us now, isn't it? It used to just be to turn on for half an hour a week and let us talk nonsense. Now we've all got our own personal causes and appeals. They'll be merchandise next. Uh, yeah, no, there's a few mugs I've got to get rid of as well. Yeah, takes long <laughs> enough to get there. <laughs> Mikey's getting his um, FIFA card tonight straight away. So no, no, I'm not going to keep him waiting, don't worry. Right, uh, we should go to it'll be tonight if we can stay here much longer. So thanks to everyone who watched on and put all the questions in. Much appreciated. And we should be back after the Leicester game next week. Uh, have a good week in the meantime. And hopefully, we're talking about a Forest win. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Cheers, Matt. Thank you. Cheers, Matt. And we shall see everyone soon.